I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 46, coming to you live this week. We're getting closer and closer to that uh, that big 50 number, half a hundred. Uh, as usual, I am your uh, co-host, Zach Folidor. Uh Apologies to everyone for missing last week. I am excited to be back. Joined as always by Sam Thillman from Indianapolis. Sam, how are you doing today, man? Uh, been a good week. Just been enjoying NBA postseason action. It's not technically playoffs, but it technically is. It's a we- it's a weird time in the basketball landscape, but yeah. hey, I've been enjoying playing. Um, I actually got my uh, 360 set up and been playing some college basketball 10. So if you've, ever, if you've ever played that in a day, it's it's been a blast. Um, I'm actually the head coach at William & Mary, so that's been interesting. The tribe, you know, they've never been to the NCAA tournament in real life. Have you got them there in the game? Uh, this is my first season. We are 20 and six so far, second in the conference because Old Dominion's apparently undefeated. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it, it'll be a tough test, but uh, I'm trying. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I, um, you're right. It is a weird time for basketball right now. I, you know, it felt weird. I was watching last night the, the Warriors and the Lakers in that play in game and, I couldn't believe the Warriors blew that game, but that's that's neither that's neither here nor there. We uh, there's a lot going on in the MAC right now. We got some news to get to, uh, got some spring sports stuff to to talk about as well. So uh, let's jump right into it here with the news, Sam. And uh, we got some uh, first things first. A couple of uh, of cool stories here regarding um, non conference games and scheduling for football. Let's start off right off the bat, though, Sam, with uh, with Ball State. They announced a, a heck of a non conference game coming up here in a couple years. Yeah, uh, this just came out of the blue for me. I was looking at Twitter, and Ball State just posted on Twitter out of nowhere. They scheduled a game with Auburn in 2025. I know we. I know people aren't much of a fan of schools planning this far out with the whole with the whole conversation they were managed to get all these non-conference games in less than a year why do they have to plan it this far out but what a non-conference to get I, I made the joke to my family they couldn't get Alabama so they had to settle for Auburn at the end of the <laughs> state so yeah th- this is one heck of a non-conference game to get and I'm sure Ball State is going to be paid mightily for this game yeah for sure um I think that this game, I think the Cardinals are in a much better position right now as a program than they were the last time they played Auburn. So for anyone that uh, look for the historical context here, they've played three times. The most recent time was in 2009. And um, I don't know what the spread was in that game, but Auburn won that one 63 to three. So I'm going to assume ball state did not cover that game. Um, so, but I think, I think anytime you get a chance to play a team like this, an SEC opponent, awesome stuff, a great thing to sell to recruits. Uh, this is gonna be the first time ball States played an SEC team since back in 2015, when they played Texas A&M. I think this is something to be excited about, Sam, um, you know, as a, as a, you know, a fan of a mid-major school to be able to go down to a power five team and take them on, you got nothing to lose. And like you said, I'm sure they're going to be compensated quite handsomely for it. Yeah. And I, I just want to shout out Beth Getz for the job she's done as AD at Ball State. The future, um, this is off fbsschedules.com. This, this year, everybody knows Ball State traveling to Penn State, playing Army at home. Next year, 2022, playing a game at Tennessee, 2023, a game at Kentucky, and then 2024 at the U or Miami, Florida, 2025, have two games against Purdue and Auburn, 2026, a game against Ohio State, and then 2027 is the last game they have at Iowa and at Kentucky. Of course, 
there's things to change between now and then, obviously, and there's going to be more switch rounds. But for the most part, all states landing heck of opponents. And whether we lose or not, which I imagine we lose the majority of these games, but the, the, but the way we're positioned right now, not only are we bringing money in, we have a solid solid football team right now, and we can put some, put some uh, quality wins together. It's looking good for Ball State. No doubt, man. No doubt. And I think uh, from a monetary perspective, you know, we, we talked so much last year at this time as the pandemic, you know, and when back in August, whenever the MAC initially announced that they were, weren't going to be playing football in the fall, one of these was this is one of the things we talked about was like the loss of revenue from these guarantee games um, is going to be tough to overcome. And, and so when you see someone like Ball State and I agree with you. Great. Uh, you know, shout out to Beth gets there for uh, the athletic director for putting that schedule together, but you see all those marquee games that ball state has scheduled over the last, you know, over the next five years. And I think that that's, that's the model. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some schools here um, over the next few years, try to schedule more of those games to try and make up for what we lost this past year. So certainly a lot to look forward to for Cardinals fans uh, in the next couple of years in terms of non-conference high profile games. Um, another announcement we had uh, here this week is just regarding a game scheduled this year uh, between Bowling Green and uh, and Tennessee. Looks like they're going to be kicking off on the first night of the season, Sam. Yeah, similar to Ball State-wise, except it's not five years down. It would be, what, 2025? That's uh, four years down the road. Uh, Bowling Green went ahead and scheduled a game this year, a game against uh, Tennessee on a Thursday night game. Similar to Ball State in the fact that I'm looking at Bowling Green's schedule and they have some quality opponents coming up. Not only do they have a game against Tennessee this year, followed by a UCLA game in 2022, game against Michigan 2023, 2024. And, Zach, if Matt Campbell, the coach at Iowa State, is still the head coach by 2027, a mm. little fun former Mac coach playing against a um, Mac opponent in 2027. So, yeah, but a lot of these Mac schools, I did not realize that Bowling Green has this many quality opponents coming up, but hopefully Zach, they, they don't get embarrassed like they have been this past season against um, Tennessee and future opponents. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at their future schedules as well here. I see, I see 2024. They're coming to, to happy Valley to take on Penn state. I really hope by that time uh, Bowling Green is back to the level that they were, you know, you know, five, six, seven years ago when they were winning Mac championships, because I'm always, I always love it when Penn state plays good mid major teams in the non-conference schedule. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and hope that, um, that the Falcons have, have turned it around a little bit by then. I agree with you though, Sam. Um, you know, I think once again, like I said, with ball state, this is something to sell to recruits. There's a lot of high profile games here on the future schedules for Bowling green. They're going to have a little bit more of experience this year. Um, obviously starting the season on the road at Tennessee and in the sec country, not a great way to start the year. Uh, but you know, you hope that they can pick up a couple non-conference victories here. There's week two opponent, South Alabama, their week three opponent, Murray State. Um, they also play at Minnesota in week four. So probably a, a loss there. But you think if they can get through that non-conference schedule at two and two uh, and have some momentum going into the, the conference schedule, you never know. Bowling Green might be able to take a step forward this year. I think, though, there's going to be a lot that's going to need to improve for them to do that. Yeah, no doubt. We definitely saw last year just how even I would say Akron, the, the level wasn't there. You could see that Akron you kind of could kind of see somewhat of progress with Bowling Green. I think this season just needs to show any type of progress. You're obviously not, if you're a Bowling Green fan, probably going to be expecting them to win Tennessee or Minnesota. But like you said, two and two record heading into conference play. If not possibly, I don't know how likely this is, but to either a win at Tennessee or Minnesota, that would basically a win there would basically be your Super Bowl there. If I had to imagine, even if you don't end up beating Akron, if you could somehow get a win in either of those, either of those places, you have to be feeling good about yourself, especially if you get that one against Minnesota, a former Mac coach 
that's something to pride yourself for uh, the rest of the season. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. I think that's a, a game that uh, they will certainly have um, certainly have uh, circled on their schedule going into the year. So we'll see what it looks like for, for Scott Luffler uh, in year three uh, at Bowling Green. Um, the next, the other big story here in terms of football, Sam, is uh, this ongoing, um, you know, the, the roster churn that we're dealing with at Buffalo right now. Obviously, they, um, they announced their, uh, their, their new head coach, Mo Linguist, last week. Uh, you know, prior to him being um, prior to him being named the head coach, a number of, of bulls entered the transfer portal since he's been, um, you know, since, you know, over the last couple of weeks, a couple of, um, a couple of those, uh, players have recommitted to Buffalo still 13 in the transfer portal though, Sam. And then we had, we had a, one of their high profile, uh, guys in the transfer portal announced the other day that he is in fact going to be leaving. Oh uh, yeah. Jacob Gall on Twitter recently announced he will be headed to uh, Baylor, a really just big-time gift for Baylor. Obviously, a big-time loss for the new coaching staff at Buffalo. You hate to see it, but that's just the name of the game when you have off-season turnover like Buffalo did. And not only losing their head coach, but basically their entire coaching staff. Maybe Jacob Gall saw the new coaching staff, didn't think he would really um, fit that well into the new system and thought, he better take his uh, talents elsewhere. We saw Madison Cohn, who was a transfer from Wisconsin, announced backing off of uh, uh, Buffalo this past weekend, heading to Appalachian State. So, Zach, we didn't really get your thoughts. It was me and James this past week. So what, what are your thoughts on the um, kind of Buffalo situation, um, not only with the transfer um, situation, but with the new coaching staff coming in? Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question, Sam. And I, you know, to be honest, um, this Maurice Linguist was not a name that was familiar to me. I, I I wasn't really aware of him until I saw he was announced as the, as the uh, the new head coach. But I mean, this is a guy. You look at his background. He he does have a really good background. Played at Baylor back in the early two thousands. I mean, he's been a, a defensive uh, defensive backs coach at. Um, you know, a lot of power five schools, Mississippi State, Minnesota, Texas A&M, Iowa State, spent last year on uh, on the staff of the Cowboys in the NFL. So I think definitely has a, a pedigree that he'll be able to sell to recruits for sure. Um, the, the thing I think that worries me a little bit is that I know he spent a few years at Buffalo uh, back 2012-2013 defensive back. Uh, he was the defensive backs coach there. Other than that, though, um, I, I don't see a ton in his background that would connect him to local recruits. Uh, you know, and that you think about the areas where Buffalo is going to recruit a lot of, you know, Western New York, Pennsylvania into Ohio. Um, and even I guess, you know, they get they get some guys from the, the DMB in the southeast as well. I just don't see a ton of a ton of connections there similar to, you know, similar to what we were talking about with Tony Barbie at, at Central Michigan. I. I think more so in this case with with uh, Mo Linguist at Buffalo, I think it was a good hire for sure. He seems like a young, energetic coach that can inject some life into the program. I just don't know. I, he, I feel like he might struggle to recruit a little bit at first. I'm not saying that he will for sure. I'm not saying that that's something that can't be overcome. But again, never having been a head coach at college or even a coordinator in college, I, I wonder how strong his recruiting connections are. Yeah, I, I'm there with you. And, and the thing that worries me so far with the Mo Linguist is how many players are still in the portal. Mm -hmm. I, I noticed um, this is me coming from an Indiana background. Watching Mike Woodson coming in immediately, it was like three, four, five players automatically decommitted and already returning to IU. And that kind of worries me that 13 players are still in the portal. And we, we just talked about briefly um, Jacob Gold transferring to Baylor, the Madison Cone um, backing off. Um, I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm surprised Matt Myers stayed, knowing he's going to be a backup to Kyle Van Trees. And he's a junior. He's really only going to get one year to be a starter if he's the starter next year after Kyle Van Trees probably leaves next year. You, you got to think he's only going to have one year of experience. 
that's yeah. gonna, that's tough for me to sell uh, as Matt Myers because he probably could have taken his talent elsewhere and be a starter. But yeah, I agree with you. I think the main reason he got hired was because we saw several prominent alumni, such as um, um, uh, what's his name from the Bears defensive end, um, uh, Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack come out and really kind of hype him up, and I think that's the one thing he has going for him that a lot of alumni are buying in. But are the players buying in? There's 13 players still in the portal. I think that kind of hints at hints at something there. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, Sam. I I, I don't disagree. Um, I do think a part of that though might have something to do with just the there just the amount of players in the transfer portal right now, not just from Buffalo but across the board. I feel like the roster turnover in college football is so high this year right now that a lot of coaches at other uh, schools it's taken them a lot of time to sift through and see who they want to re- target, who they want to recruit. So I don't know. Um, you know, it, it certainly could go the way of, you know, with 13 players still in the transfer portal, obviously all 13 of them leaving is, is a possibility. I wouldn't be surprised though, over the next couple of weeks to see a few of them recommit. I obviously, I am not basing that on any facts or anything. I know I just, it, it's, I don't know. It seems like, um, I, I just think the, 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 the roster turnover across college football and the whole landscape this, this summer probably has something to do with that. But I hear what you're saying. There, there's definitely anytime you're, 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 you hire a first time head coach, there's going to be concerns like this. And I think um, it seems thus far from seeing the Buffalo community on Twitter and elsewhere online, it seems like the reaction to him initially has been pretty positive, at least from the fan base. We'll see, we'll see, uh, you know, the, the, the players and, and, you know, the guys still on the roster, we'll see what they think, but I don't know, going to be an interesting off season for Buffalo. It certainly is. They still got a lot of work to do in terms of reconstructing that roster here moving forward. So we'll see what he's able to, to put together in terms of roster construction here for year one. And uh, like we mentioned, still 13 Buffalo Bulls in the transfer portal right now. So we will obviously continue to monitor that and, and, and we'll see where some of these guys uh, you know, what decision they, they decide to make here over the next couple of weeks. Um, one, uh, one last final football story I wanted to touch on here, Sam, before we move on to basketball, uh, former Ohio quarterback, um, the, the, one of the, the greats in the last 20 years in the Mac, Nathan Rourke, he's going to be returning to his native Canada, uh, native Canada, excuse me, to, to be playing in the CFL. Yeah, this story is a little bit surprising. Nathan Rourke, of course, the former Ohio Bobcat um, quarterback. We, I'm pretty sure every Mac fan knows about him. His brother being the um, current starting quarterback at Ohio, recently signed a three-year contract with the BC Lions Football Club. Last episode, we talked about him getting an invite to the Giants minicamp, and maybe that spurred a little bit actions on the BC Lions to get this man under contract so he doesn't leave to the NFL. He got a solid three-year deal. The The money wasn't released, so I'm not sure how he's getting paid. But, Zach, one thing I, I'm i a little bit confused by, with the CFL season kind of in, like in question as to whether it's going to be happening, is this a smart decision on his part? It's a little bit risky in my mind because we don't know if they're going to have a season yeah. really to play. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying there, Sam. Um, now, I, I was looking up the, I looked at the the CFL um, earlier as I was doing some research on Nathan Rourke. They they have announced back in April they did announce their intention to host a season starting in August, August 5th, I believe, um, is is set to be the first day. Now, is that actually are they going to be able to fulfill that? I don't know. We will see. Um, I hear what you're saying there, Sam. I think the flip side of that kind of risk assessment would be. What's more likely, this, the fact that the CFL is going to play this year or the fact that an undrafted free agent like Nathan Rourke would be able to go into a mini camp with the Giants and turn that into a roster spot? Mm-hmm. I don't know how likely that is either. You know what I mean? That has, I'm, I'm not saying that as a slight to Nathan Rourke. I'm just saying you look at the percentages and the odds there. There's a lot of undrafted rookies that get um, – that get invited to those mini camps that, that, you know, they get cut and that, and that's kind of it for them. So I don't blame him. I also think um, the other thing about this is you look, you know, this is a guy that's from Victoria. 
uh, Canada, which is uh, a suburb of British Columbia. So, or I'm sorry, a, a suburb of Vancouver. Um, so, you know, he's going to be essentially playing in his hometown. I think that probably had something to do with it as well. Obviously the money is not like it would be in the NFL. I think I want to say, you know, rookies in the CFL, you're, you're making, you know, you're not making a ton of money, maybe 60 or 70 grand. It's, it's not a um, huge substantial salary. Like it might be uh, as an NFL rookie, but nonetheless, he's going to get to play at home. And uh, you know, if there's fans in the stands, hopefully we'll, he'll be able to have his family there with them. Um, I mean, this is a guy who was extremely productive uh, in college. I mean, 7,475 passing yards and 70 passing touchdowns at, at Ohio, and then 2,600 yards rushing and 49 rushing touchdowns as well. So this is a guy that can do it through the air, can do it through his feet. Um, I enjoyed watching him when he was in college. And I also, I mean, I, I can't lie. I do enjoy watching the CFL over the summer and, and seeing it looks like arena football on steroids kind of to me. I think he could thrive in that environment if given the chance. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think there's definitely a chance for him to play and possibly do well. I think it's just on the CFL to actually host this season. He was a, yeah. a high draft pick, second round 15th overall in the CFL of course, the CFL, I believe, has that rule where a certain amount of Canadians have to play on, mm-hmm. on the field or whatever the case is, which is a little bit different than what we're used to. But hopefully that means Nathan Ward gets a chance. I'm not sure of the BC Lions quarterback situation, but maybe he gets a chance to play, maybe he gets a chance to start, and maybe he gets to show his um, talent to potentially land in NFL spot in the future. Yeah, for sure. I think that's that's the route that a lot of guys that go up to Canada are hoping to take, you know, parlay that experience into an NFL camp invite. So best of luck to Nathan. He was uh, fun to watch when he was at Ohio. So we'll see what he's able to do up there north of the border. Um, Last news story here this week that we wanted to touch on, Sam, Um, new Northern Illinois head basketball coach Rashawn Burno um, released or I should say announced uh, officially there. Uh, their 2021 signing class uh, for the Huskies. Now they're going to have to do some revamping of their roster this year. And I thought it was notable. I can't remember the last time I saw a college basketball team bring in seven new players in one recruiting class. It kind of tells you the situation he's walking into there at Northern Illinois, where the team, you know, let's, let's be honest, you know, they, they struggled last year uh, mightily. And then they had a bunch of guys leave here in the off season so that, that kind of leads us to their current situation. What did you think about the, the, the recruiting class they put together, Sam? I thought, I thought it's um, when you bring up the notable about the amount of people because seven for any recruiting class is going to be big. I thought that the interesting thing is the four transfers coming in because when, you, when you're in your first recruiting class, you're not able to develop the relationships over the four years, three years, two years in high school to be able to bring in a lot of um, freshmen. So he had to go out and get um, players from other programs, which is smart from him. And I think the advantage of hiring Rashawn Burno when you did March of last year, I do believe from Arizona State, unlike um, Central Michigan's new head coach and Eastern Michigan's new head coach, you're able to at least do some form of recruiting, which is why he was able to get some of the players he was able to get. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have been able to get as many you have a lot of people leaving so you got to bring in some talent you're obviously going to be inexperienced coming in but hopefully this is the sign of the right direction because you're bringing in your own guys that you want to um kind of um lead your program in the the future with yeah no i i agree with that and i am especially interested like you said sam i'm especially interested to see these these transfers come in and you see a couple of guys here um, from Power Five programs, Martise Mitchell. Uh, it was a freshman last year at Minnesota, but he's from Chicago, so he's transferring back home uh, to a program closer to home for him. Obviously, I'm sure this was uh, partially um, due to the the coaching change at Minnesota, where, where Richard Patino was was fired. This is a guy, a guy that only averaged up one point a game last year, but he was also only playing three minutes a game. Didn't get a ton of run there at Minnesota, but certainly I mean, he's a 6'10 guy, local kid uh, from Chicago that can, you know, give them some size underneath. And then you also have Chris Austin coming in 
from Arizona State. So there's another uh, instance of of Rashawn Burno's you know previous relationships paying off for the Huskies. It's, he gets one of his former players to follow him from Tempe. This is another guy only played, you know, 16 minutes a night last year, 2.7 points per game, 2.3 rebounds, did shoot 60% from the field. So another guy that can give them some size. And then Kashawn Williams from, uh, from Tulsa. This is another guy who was a freshman last year from Chicago, traveled to another part of the country to, to start his college, college career, decided he wanted to be closer to home, transfers home to Northern Illinois. So you have some guys here that, you know, obviously you have the the three, um, you know, the, those three transfers there. Then you bring in four. Uh, there one more transfer, uh, Darwishy Hunter from Weber State. So you got four transfers, three high school guys. Um, I, you know, I think anytime you have a new coaching staff coming in, it's always, I don't know, sometimes you expect this re- reset to have to happen. To be able to bring in a couple veteran guys who have a year of college experience under their belt and, you know, know the ins and outs of it. And then, you know, throw in some freshmen with that as well. Um, it seems like a, a promising first class for Coach Burno. Yeah, and I, I think the interesting thing from reading the article, uh, Rashawn Burno's take in why he brought in most of these players is it's their athleticism. He mm-hmm. mentions their athleticism for several different people. Uh, and I, I think that's the key. I think I think one of the things you're going to notice is the he, he went out on guys who were able to kind of play multiple positions. He didn't want guys just to play their standard position. You obviously know in the, the new age of basketball, you got to have six, eight guys who can play the three, four, or potentially even the five if you need to. So I think that's where Rashawn Burno's head was at, trying to get multiple guys who can play multiple position, have that flexibility. You, you can have Martise Mitchell at the center position, kind of playing a small ball lineup where you have a six-foot Zion Russell, a, a six-three Keyshawn Russell, Darwishi Hunter at a potential three spot, and then either Chris Oster or Montavious Miernick at a uh, four spot. I think it's really smart on his part. I think you're going to see a lot of small ball, it seems like, from from um, Northern Illinois, and I, I'm, I'm interested to see his kind of rotations um, next season. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, Sam, and, and I thought the same thing. I think Whenever he was hired, I think the questions that we had and a lot of people have are, you know, anytime you hire new coaches, like what's going to be the identity of the program? How, how are they going to play? I think that's something that Northern Illinois really, really struggled with last year was they didn't really have an identity. You never they didn't have really like a calling card or anything that they were good at that they could go do when they needed to win a game. I think uh, Coach Berno's idea of recruiting these guys that are versatile, that can play multiple positions, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's it's the way the, the game is going right now, as you said, Sam. So certainly a promising start for Coach Berno there in uh, – in uh, DeKalb and, and we'll see if the Huskies are able to, to bounce back and to have a little bit of a better season this year uh, after really, really struggling last year. Let's move into um, the, the Twitter question of the week. This is something we got away from here uh, for, for a, a month or so, but we wanted to bring it back and, and start to get some more interaction with all you on Twitter. So we appreciate the, the responses this week as always. And the, the question we asked this week was, um, we really, you know, we mentioned Coach Berno, the new hire at Northern Illinois here just a minute ago. We want to know everyone's thoughts on the new coaching hires, whether it's, you know, Buffalo, Central Michigan, Eastern Michigan, Northern Illinois. What did everyone think about the new hires? And, and uh, Sam, I thought we got some, uh, some good responses here. Yeah, we, uh, we'll start off on the um, Ball State front as the first comment. We got John Matthews saying, won't matter because Ball State's still going to repeat as MAC champs. <laughs> So uh, I don't know. I, as, as a Ball State fan, I, Sam, I don't know. He seems a little bit more confident than you are. I, I, I'm hesitant. I don't. I feel like back to back is hard to do in any sport, and we uh, we obviously have everything going for us. We have a lot of in, uh, returning talent. We have a new practice facility. It seems like everything is just. The writing's on the wall for us to basically the the hashtag that Balsi uses run it back. But at the same time, we see too many teams get caught in the mindset that we deserve it, and we've seen Toledo when expectations are high, things didn't exactly turn out the way they wanted. And I don't want to just jump the gun and be like Ball State's gonna repeat as max champions i think there's a high probability that will happen 
it probably should happen based on Buffalo's um, recent turmoil and coach. Everything's favoring Ball State, but at the same time, you can't be too confident because we still have a non-conference uh, schedule that's hard. We still have to get through our conference schedule, and who knows, based on injuries, turmoil, everything going on, that we can just declare Ball State MAC champs just yet. Yeah, you're right. I, I certainly think they have a good chance to do it with how much uh, talent they have coming back. But man, there's so much that can go wrong throughout the course of a football season, like you mentioned, Sam. And not to mention, we got, some, I mean, there's some other teams in the conference that are still going to be very strong this year. You know, Kent State's going to be great in the East. Um, you know, I think, I think Western Michigan and Toledo are poised to have good years as well. So certainly going to be some competition there. Though, um, again, I, I do appreciate John's uh, uh, confidence in the Cardinals there. And the response that I liked here uh, the, from our, our friend uh, Mike Ensminger fan account at LaPlanque, um, he was saying that he feels that uh, Scott, or I'm sorry, Shane Montgomery is a great hire at offensive coordinator for Buffalo. So that's interesting because we've talked a lot about um, Mo Linguist as the, as the new head coach there at Buffalo. We haven't talked a lot about his staff. And Shane Montgomery is a guy um, who has had success at the college level. Um, this is a guy who was the head coach at, um, at Miami from 2005 to 2008. He was also the offensive coordinator prior to that from 2001 to 2004 for the Red Hawks. That coincided with uh, a, a guy named Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, you might have heard of him. So he has some, he has some uh, experience you know, with uh, developing guys and, and on the offensive side of the ball. He also, fun fact, I was looking at his Wikipedia page. Prior to going to Miami in 2001, he spent seven years as an assistant coach at uh, Tennessee Chattanooga, where uh, during that time, he actually he coached another guy you might have heard of, wide receiver Terrell Owens. So he's, he has um, a solid background of, of, you know, developing guys and putting them into the NFL, um, had some ups and downs over his four years as a head coach at Miami, uh, went seven and four in 2005 and six and seven in 2007. Unfortunately, uh, those two years were also um, sacked in there with uh, a couple of two and 10 seasons, which uh, ultimately led to his dismissal. But he's, I mean, this is a guy that's been an offensive coordinator and a head coach in, uh, in the college football world going all the way back to 2001. I mean, he's, he's been the, the, at the helm of some pretty prolific offenses. So I do agree. I think this was a good hire for the Bulls. Yeah, I agree. And just looking at what he did uh, last year on the offensive side of ball for James Madison in 2019, when they had a full season, 40 points per game this past um, spring season, he had 33.6 points per game. This is a guy who you mentioned develops talent, has success at the offensive coordinator level. And like we, like I talked about with James, they seem to have the defensive side of the ball figured out. They obviously yeah. bring the head coach in. Um, from a defensive background, their defensive um, coordinator had a solid background, a lot of experience. They only the only questions we had was for the offensive side of the ball. You bring in a guy who has MAC roots, who's going to be able to sell recruits on um, having MAC ties, who's going to be able to develop kids. I think this is a great offensive um, coordinator. High to Mike Ensminger's uh, fan accounts credit. I think this is a no-brainer hire for Buffalo, just all around. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, Sam. And uh, yeah, you make a great point about the uh, the you know the offensive output at James Madison over the last few years. Um, you know, two years ago, the last full fall season in the FCS, James Madison uh, was in the, the the championship game. So they they only um, they lost, I believe, by one point. They lost to North Dakota State in that game. So he certainly has been at the helm of uh, some some high, very high profile offenses. And then, uh, Sam, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we had one more response here. Uh, yes, we did. Uh, uh, yeah, we had a response from Jacob P. Roberts who said, Frank Solich might just coach for another 20 years until he's 109 years old. And that kind of made me think of, Zach, when when is Ohio going to rename the field the Frank Solich field? Because I feel like the writing's on the wall at this point that this needs to be done. I, I uh, Sam, I, I could not agree with you more. Um, when you look at when you look at the 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 I guess the success of Ohio football, there's two very 
distinct eras. There is the, the pre-Frank Solich era, and then there's the Bobcats since they hired Frank Solich back in 2005. Um, this is a guy, I mean, the, the, the Bobcats uh, success, I mean, it's, it's like two different programs. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, um, he, he's, he's brought the, uh, he's brought the, um, the Bobcats to seven bowl games, if I'm not mistaken here. Well, I know way more than that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 bowl games in 15 years uh, for, uh, for the Bobcats, 14 years, really, if, if you don't count this past season when they only played three games. I mean, this is a guy, if I was a, if I was a Bobcats fan or if I was in the administration at Ohio, I'd want Frank Solis to stick around as long as he wanted to, or at least as long as his, his, you know, his mind and his body allow him to. I, I really think um, he is the best coach in school history. They should name the stadium after him. Uh, he's going to be in the, the Mac Hall of Fame one of these days because his, his longevity and the consistency they've had since he's been their coach has been really impressive. Yeah, I, I'm looking at his age. He is, uh, in case you're curious, 76 years old. And with, with all these coaches, I mean, you think of um, uh, Jim Beheim. You think of um, who, who's who's another one? Um, uh, Coach K is getting up there. Um, Bill Belichick. You think of all these coaches, and they're staying for as long as they want. And who's to say Frank Solich, um, Urban Meyer is another coach who comes to mind who's getting up there in age. Who's who's to say he can't coach for another five, ten years? And it's basically, I think, up to Frank. And I. I yeah, it really his mind and age on how long he wants to go. Ohio fans obviously love him. The administration obviously loves him. He was just in a bowl game. It wasn't this past season, but it would be, what? Yeah, two years ago. Technically, like one and a half, if you want to call it the shortened season, half yeah. season, whatever you want to call it. He was just in a – he just recently got a contract extension, so – Good on him for being successful for as long as he um, can. And like Jake, Jacob P. Roberts, he might just coach for another 20 years. Yeah, we'll see. I don't think Ohio fans would be too upset about that. Yeah, I mean, from 2009 to 2019, that 10-year that span, there was only one year where the, the Bobcats did not make a bowl game, and that was 2014. And even in that year, they were 6-6. Six and six, So they were eligible for a bowl game. They just – didn't make it. So um, certainly a, a great run for, for coach Solich and the Bobcats here. And I think, uh, I think Jake is right. I think one of these days we're, we're going to see uh, the, the stadium in Athens named after him. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, let's go ahead, Sam. Let's, let's move into our, our spring sports breakdown here, um, here to, to close out the show. Uh, obviously baseball and softball still going strong, but before we get there, some of these, uh, some, uh, these seasons that have already wrapped up, we've got some postseason announcements and, uh, some, you know, players of the year, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. So we'll start off on the women's tennis, uh, court with the, uh, the, uh, postseason awards, the Mac recently announced the postseason awards, so we'll take them through you briefly. We'll start off with the player of the year was Laura Rico from Miami. We got coach of the year, Max Norris from Ball State. We obviously know the impressive season Ball State women's tennis had, um, clinching that um, MAC um, championship regular season award. Obviously, there was no postseason tournament uh, this year, but I believe, like we talked about last uh, episode, that will be returning in the future, I think, as soon as next year. So be on the lookout for that. Freshman of the year was Cassie Alcala from Toledo. I hope I said that right. And then the sportsmanship 
Award was Hin, uh, Sin Yon Shi from Buffalo. I hope I also said that name right. Um, so Zach, um, any any thoughts from the um, any of the uh, player awards or any of the uh, first or second teams? Uh, you know, I think I was I wasn't surprised to see uh, Coach of the Year go to Max Norris at Ball State. I know uh, we we talked about him last week and and the fact that you know pretty much. All, all the success that the program has had over the last couple of years has been attributed to him. And, you know, they've won uh, what two Mac titles in the last three years here. Um, also really impressed by uh, Cassie Alcala from, from Toledo. Um, not only the freshman of the year, but also a first team, all Mac selection. So if you're a, a fan of, of the women's tennis program at one of these other Mac schools, um, you're going to have to remember that name, you know, first team, all conference as a freshman first Toledo player to win that freshman of the year award since 2007. So, um, so I think that's, you know, that's a name I expect to, to see here over the next couple of years, I expect to see her stick around and uh, continue to improve. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it should be too um, surprising to anyone how much ball state was, was included in the first and second team. You had one uh, Emma Peeler on the first team, you had Jessica Braun and uh, Masha, uh, Masha Polishuk on the second team for Ball State. And then, like I said, Coach Norris with the coach of the year. You would expect that something like that to happen after, you know, the, the Cardinals ran through and, uh, and won the conference this year. So great year for the Cardinals if you're a, if you're a Ball State fan in women's tennis. And, uh, you know, kudos to, to all these women that made the first and second team. Kudos to Max Norris for uh, getting that coach of the year award. Yeah, it was, it was a great season. Unfortunately, it ended – on May 7th in a first round loss to Vanderbilt. But yeah, like you said, one, one heck of a season for Ball State. Shout out to Max Norris for the, the job he's done turning around the tennis program. Like you said, two uh, MAC uh, championships in the last three years. Just done a tremendous job with the women's tennis program in Muncie. But yeah, I'm not surprised either with the amount of inclusion. Ball State was on the all MAC list. Um, like you said, Kelsey Alcalca. Calcula not only to be freshman of the year, but first team all Mac is is very impressive. Not not every day are you freshman of the year and also first team all Mac. So yeah, shout out to her, like you said. Yeah, no doubt. So certainly that would indicate to me a, a bright future for uh for Toledo women's uh women's tennis. Let's move on, Sam. We uh we had the the golf season um wrapped up here, or is is in the process of wrapping up right now with the NCAA championships going on. Uh, Kent State dominated in it both in uh, men's and women's in the MAC this year. Both of their squads were able to compete in the NCAA regional championships here over the past week. Um, the men's side didn't get the result they wanted, but the women's team, after winning their sec twenty second straight. Uh, Mac championship was able to advance to the, uh, the NCAA championships. Yeah. Um, let, let's start with the women's side of things. The more uh, kind of happy news is Kent state was able to head to the regionals finish fifth. And that is good enough to go to the NCAA championship. I believe they're, they will be playing against uh, Georgia Duke, the likes of Arizona state, Kentucky and Michigan. This will apparently be the, the or I almost said Kentucky, Kent State's eighth national championship appearance as a team. I mean, that in and of itself, we should yeah. give a round of applause for not only that they were able to get it done, but the eighth overall as a team. I mean, how many different programs in the MAC have eight national championship appearances as a, as a team? Yeah, for sure. I I said this uh, the other week whenever we we talked about them winning their 22nd straight conference championship. I, I, I can't believe that I didn't know how dominant and how strong the women's golf program is at Kent State. Maybe, maybe that's on me. Maybe that's something that's widely known. But, you know, we talk a lot about how, um, you know, we've, we've talked about like Akron soccer and some of these other programs in the Mac that really kind of punch above their weight and, and compete for national championships, not just conference championships, but national championships, learning a little bit more about the Kent state women's golf team here over these last couple of weeks. I think I would put them in that group. I mean, 22 straight conference championships. This is their eighth time they've advanced past the regionals in the, in the college golf, um, you know, in the NCAA tournament and got to the national championship round there. I mean, some of these teams they're playing against in the, in the championships here, Duke is number two in the country, Arizona state's number seven, 
Georgia's number 18, but Kent State's right there. They're ranked 15th in the country. So really, really um, impressive run from the Golden Flashes women's uh, golf team. The, uh, the NCAA tournament, the finals are the championships, as they call it, kicks off uh, tomorrow or Friday, I should say, uh, May 21st out in Phoenix. So best of luck to the Golden Flashes. I know all of our uh, Kent State fans up in Northeast Ohio will be following uh, them throughout the weekend. And hey, maybe uh, next week's show, we'll be able to talk about Kent State bringing home a national championship. I would love to see that. And, and we'll see how they play this weekend. Uh, yeah, and no doubt in moving on to the men's side of things, unfortunately, unlike the women's side of things, they could not advance to the national champions, uh, national championship. They were they placed eighth in the, the Kingston re- regional this past week. So their season is unfortunately over. Um, unlike um, the I would say, even though they weren't able to advance to the national championship, I'd say one heck of a season for this team. You got you got so close to the national championship, wasn't able to get it done, but still won a heck of a season for the the gold, the men's uh, Golden Flashes team. Yeah, no, it re- it really was. So for anyone doesn't know how these regionals work for for uh, golf, so there's 13 teams in a region, and the top five move on or qual. You know, they'll, they'll they'll qualify for the next round. Kent State finished eighth in this one. You know, they they were in they were tied for first place after the first round on uh, on Friday last week. They shot a 277 as a team in the first round, and again that was tied for first with uh, with NC State. Unfortunately for Kent State, um, you know, a 290 on Saturday and a 293 on Sunday um, really kind of um, broke that, you know, broke their chances. They still ended up only missing out. Uh, They missed the cut by like 11, uh, 11 strokes. So not far off at all. Still a, a really strong season. I mean, the golf program in general at Kent State seems like it's really rolling right now. Anytime, you know, in a, in a sport like golf where there's a men's competition and a women's competition, anytime a school can send both teams to the NCAA tournament, that, that's, a, that's a pretty impressive fat, uh, feat for me. So kudos to the, the, the golf programs at, at Kent State there. And I know uh, the, the guys on the men's team there, they got to be already chomping at the bit to get back out there next year. Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree. And, and one interesting thing is, um, yeah, you're sad to miss the the um, kind of cut by 11 strokes, but they weren't the worst team. The 13th place, Iona placed 933, which means they placed basically, what would that be, 57 or yeah. 67? Yeah. Then so – if there's any positive to take away, I would say take it from that. Obviously, if you're a senior on that Kent State team, it's obviously sad you didn't want it, the season to turn out like you did. But you still got to the NCAA regional, which is something that not everybody gets to do. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Nothing to hang your hat on if you're a, a member of uh, the, the men's golf team there at Kent State. Um, let's move on, Sam, to uh, our, our, our big sports here uh, that we've been talking about a lot lately. Obviously, we got, um, the, we got uh, the baseball season winding down. We got two weeks left in baseball here. Some, some, uh, some impressive results this past weekend, Sam. And maybe let's take a look, start off. Let's take a look at the, uh, the, the standings real quick. I know you and James talked about this last week, but I see Ball State and Central Michigan right there at the top. Tied, same record in the conference, same record overall. It's going to be an interesting last couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, and something that hurt Central Michigan this past week is they actually lost in their series three of four games to Western Michigan. Obviously, no slouch Western Michigan being in the third place, but when you're neck and neck with Ball State um, tied as of right now because Ball State, I believe, lost um, two games against, um, who was it, uh, Kent State this past yeah. week, which – if you're if you're a Ball State fan like myself, you were hoping for either the three wins or the the sweep to kind of separate yourself from Central Michigan because they did take a hit this past week. But two series to go, two weeks left to go. Uh, Ball State is with their um, two series left. They are playing at Eastern or not at Eastern. Um, they are playing Damn. series against at Ohio starting on May 21st, which is tomorrow, ending on May 23rd, and then a series to finish off the regular season against Miami, Ohio at home. So 
that should be fun to watch. And then, um, Zach, do you know who Central Michigan will be playing to finish out the regular season? Yeah, so Central Michigan's got four against Eastern Michigan this weekend. That'll be taking place uh, in um, – that'll be in uh, Mount Pleasant. And then next week, uh, to close out the regular season, you got Central Michigan traveling down to Toledo to take uh, – they got four against the Rockets. So um, Eastern Michigan, obviously, they're, they're, you know, middle of the pack, 14 and 17 in the conference. Toledo, 17 and 14. Not a ton separating those two teams. I think if you're a Chippewas fan, you'd probably like to think that the, that Central Michigan can, um, you know, take care of business in both of those series. But like you mentioned, Sam, um, you know, they 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 f- drop three of four against Central, uh, excuse me, Western Michigan this past weekend. You don't you wonder if maybe they start to have some confidence issues or whatever the case may be. But certainly going to be a really really interesting last two weekends here. Uh, with with Ball State and Central Michigan so close together at the top of the standings, I think so, and I think nothing would hurt um, Ball State fans more than missing out on a MAC championship game due to the or not MAC championship game, I should say MAC championship title because there's no um, postseason tournament is due to a series um, against Miami. I think that would hurt Ball State fans more than anything else losing to the Red Hawks, but. Yeah. happen i think it's kind of fitting that um that that the schedules are kind of i would say relatively even heading into the final schedule you obviously toledo's obviously higher than um both ohio and miami but ohio and miami are scrunched in between eastern michigan so you're kind of evening out it just kind of worked out that way in the scheduling that i think this is two series that is going to be fun to watch fun to pay attention to and it's going to come down the wire but anything can happen between now and then but it should be two fun series to watch and whoever uh made the best team um come out on top essentially yes certainly i agree you you love it when there's such a tightly contested race coming down the stretch of the season um just to go quickly over the other results from this past weekend uh toledo in the battle of i-75 they took three out of four from bowling green um, Akron took three out of four from Ohio. We mentioned Western Michigan taking three of four from uh, the Chippewas. Uh, Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan split four, as did Kent State and Ball State. Uh, Miami, uh, they stepped out of conference and took on West Virginia. And unfortunately, that step up in competition was a little bit too much for the Red Hawks. They dropped both games against the Mountaineers, obviously uh, out of the, the Big 12. Um, but in terms of like players of the week here, Sam, uh, we had some uh, some impressive performances. Uh, Chris Myers from Toledo with the with the player of the week. Um, yeah, he hit 500 this past week, 10 for 20. Um, usually people like to think point like 0.25 is about average. He basically hit double the um, average what you want to shoot for 10 for 22 home runs and nine RBIs in a series against Eastern Michigan. So shout out to him. A, um, finally, Akron gets recognized for something good in baseball. Anthony Fett, the freshman out of um, Michigan, got the uh, pitcher of the week for this. the, the um, accomplishments he got against Ohio. Allowed six hits and two runs with two strikeouts and one walk. It was Akron's first series win of the season. So shout out to Akron for getting something positive on the board. Yeah, certainly. I think when you're a team trying to reestablish themselves like Akron is this year, having, you know, taken, you know, their program was disbanded for about five years. I think these small victories are something that can really boost morale of the team. Um, like you said, first, uh, first series win of the season and thus their first series win since 2015, which doesn't sound quite as bad when you consider they didn't play for five years, but still uh, a, a nice occasion for the zips. Yeah, but you like you mentioned, Chris Myers for Toledo. What a what a season he's having. Um, six in the nation currently in slugging percentage and tied for 14th in the country with 15 home runs. Um, his 15th home run of the season he hit last weekend against Bowling Green that actually tied the Toledo single season home run record. So he has uh, four chances against Northern Illinois this weekend to hit one more and, and break the record. Leads the MAC in, uh, in slugging percentage and home runs. Uh, as well as batting average, on-base percentage, hits, RBIs, and doubles. So, heck of a year uh, for Chris Myers, the the, the junior from uh, Miamisburg, Ohio. Um, and as as Sam mentioned earlier, 
looking forward to this next weekend uh, of, of uh, series. We got Western Michigan taking on Kent, Eastern Michigan traveling to Central Michigan, uh, Akron traveling to Miami, Toledo taking on Northern Illinois, and then Ball State going to Athens to take on the Bobcats. Uh, let's move on to softball here quickly, Sam. We got, uh, you know, obviously the, the softball season has ended. However, um, the, the MAC champions, Miami, they found their destination here recently for the, uh, the NCAA tournament. Uh, yeah, Miami um, University, I, I believe we talked about this last episode. They clinched the MAC uh, championship and were selected for the NCAA tournament and will face the matchup that I love every time a MAC team plays for because I always root for the MAC team and they are going to play Notre Dame actually tomorrow at 2:30. I will definitely be tuned to that game, especially because it's not on ESPN Plus; it's on ESPN Three. I always root for um, everybody. Every listener knows I root for the team that plays against Notre Dame, and this will be true tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to this matchup. Yeah, I am too. I think, uh, especially when you see how dominant Miami was this year, I mean, 46 and eight overall 36 and two in the Mac. Uh, this is a team that, I mean, offensively, they're great. Their pitching staff is incredible. I mean, they really, everything, every metric you could look at for, uh, for the Red Hawks, they're good at. So I see, I know Notre Dame's in the ACC probably, um, a little bit of a tougher conference, but I see they were 31 and 13 on the season. I definitely think that um, I think that Miami definitely has a shot in this game. Uh, this is their fifth NCAA tournament appearance in program history, first since 2016. And I mean, again, what a year they had set a program record for wins, just the second 40 win season in program history. Um, I'm really, I'm like you, Sam, I, I don't think, I don't think my level level of hatred for Notre Dame rises quite to the level of yours, but I'm certainly not a fighting Irish fan. So I will absolutely be rooting for the Red Hawks in this one. We'll see what they're able to do. Um, best of luck to them as they take on the fighting Irish tomorrow. Always love seeing, uh, Mac teams take on, uh, you know, kind of high profile teams in, in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, also in uh, elsewhere in softball, um, we had obviously our, our final kind of, uh, you know, players of the week uh, announcement here the other day as softball season wrapped up last week. And Alyssa Rothwell from uh, from Ball State uh, had kind of a, a, a career milestone that happened this past weekend for her, Sam, that uh, kind of it was given her. She was given the pitcher of the week because of that. Yeah, um, in obviously Ball State didn't have the season that they wanted, or well, I should say that they did in the fact that they had a great record, 31 and 8, 37 and 18, finished on a six-game winning streak. Obviously, Miami kind of uh, broke away, clinched the MAC tournament, and Ball State couldn't get in as an at-large bid. Of course, uh, that that kind of stinks there. But when you take in the fact that Alyssa Rothwell, the senior out of Ball State, not only set the, I would assume, would be the Ball State um, saves record, but then she went out in with 33 saves, set the NCAA record for saves. I would say the great, you like the article says, you could call her the greatest closer in NCAA Division One softball history. So if you're looking back on the season as a disappointment, at least we got a um, NCAA record out of it. Shout out to Alyssa for a heck of an accomplishment um, this this season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's something. I mean, to get thirty three saves, I'm always I'm always so impressed by these milestones. We we talked about this back in basketball season, Sam. About you know when we talked about these people that you know stay and you know they score two thousand points in a program, and I think. This this milestone is in that same bucket and just as impressive to me in the sense that it's not just that they had a great game. It's it's about consistency. It's about performing at a high level over a number of years. And obviously, um, to set an NCAA record like that, to amass 33 saves um, over the course of a career, that is something that is really, really, really impressive to me. So shout out to Alyssa Rothwell. I know 
as as you mentioned, Sam, she she probably would trade the individual recognition in for you know an NCAA tournament berth for the Cardinals. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for them this year. But nonetheless, I think um, she can go out with her head held high, kind of with this kind of feather in her cap to um, kind of put the cherry on top of her career. Congrats to her! What an am- amazing career, and and hopefully, um, I I'm not I you know I don't no, uh, I'm not going to claim to know what the record books look like in division one women's softball, but hopefully that record stands for quite some time. Yeah, no doubt. And I think to put it more into perspective, just how amazing this is, is 33 saves. If you don't follow baseball means 33 basically wins. I, mm. I basically equate to kind of saving the game if you want to put it there. So when you, when you put that in perspective over her career, she's had 33 wins in basketball, you don't really get wins attributed to you like that. In in football, besides head coaches, um, um, you don't really get uh, wins attached to you. And it's different, like in baseball and softball, that you you do essentially. And basically, she has more career wins than some teams do in a season. Like I'm looking at the things right now. Kent State only finished with a 27 wins. Toledo finished with 31. Bowling Green fish with 27 in, in over four years, you got 33 wins, essentially. I mean, j- just one heck of a um, accomplishment there. Couldn't agree more, Sam. That's a great way to look at it. That's a great way to look at it. And uh, one, uh, one other final thing uh, to touch on here, just in terms of, um, you know, notable uh, postseason awards. So the, the, um, so Alyssa Rothwell was the, the pitcher of the week here for the final week of the regular season. Uh, Miami freshman Carly Spade was the player of the week for the final year of the season. And that's a perfect, uh, that's a perfect segue into this next thing here, Sam, where uh, Carly Spade getting some serious recognition to p- potentially be freshman of the year. Uh, yeah, she was one of the 15 student athletes who is in the rank for the 2021 Shut Sports D1 National Freshman of the Year. If you don't know who she is, she is a second baseman for the Miami Red Hawks. She is currently tied for the, the Miami single-season home record, run record with 14, run scored record with 51. Remind you, this is a freshman. In her first year, she had 14 home runs and 51 RBIs, which which both rank among all-time max single-season leaders. She she bats a 410. Like to do that in your first season, we we talked about um, just a few um, minutes ago about being not only the freshman of the year but also the first team to do to have records and be among the, like in the record book is just just astonishing. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said it better, Sam. I mean. 14 home runs uh, tied for the program, you know, program's uh, record in the, in a year run scored 51 that has set the record. I mean, this is, I mean, these are also things that are ranking among all time Mac leaders in the conference. I mean, I think you can view her success this year through the lens of like their team success this year. I mean, as a team, you know, the Red Hawks, they broke the Mac single season records for runs, RBIs, doubles, uh, closing on in on the team home run record, which is 78. Uh, if they also, if they maintain their 342 batting average, that would be a conference record as yell as well. So I'm always super, super impressed when, when a freshman are able to come in like this and uh, really make an impact in their first year on campus certainly um, makes you feel like the, the success that the Red Hawks had this year uh, was not a one hit wonder. It seems like they're going to, you know, they're set up for sustained success here and, We'll see how they're able to uh, perform against Notre Dame uh, tomorrow and then, you know, moving forward in the next season. So she was one of the 15, uh, I guess you want, I don't know if you want to call them semifinalists for this award. The final three, uh, they cut that list of 15 down to three. That'll come out next week, uh, next Friday, May 27th. That list that of three will be revealed. So we'll see. Fingers crossed for her. Uh, We're really pulling for, uh, we're really pulling for her. And we hope Carly makes that final list of three, and we'll obviously report that news once uh, once it is released. And uh, with that, Sam, I think that that just about wraps up our spring sports report. We had some good news here this week as well. Anything we didn't cover? Or anything? Any final words of wisdom for the people? Um, I think I'm just uh, one quick thing. I'm just excited to see how baseball finishes up because, like we saw in softball you would like to think that either if central Michigan or ball state, vice versa, whatever you want to put, who 
whoever wins is obviously going to need an at-large bid. And like in softball, we've seen that Ball State had one heck of a season, but it wasn't good enough. And you'd like to think that both Ball State and Central Michigan have had quality enough seasons to get an at-large bid. But as we've seen in the past, the MAC really doesn't get the respect for a two-bid um, league. So, uh, fingers crossed, you obviously want to want to get that MAC championship title to kind of um, not only to have the MAC title, but to kind of feel secure about getting a spot in the NCAA title. Because who knows if you get an at-large bid if um, either one of these um, teams do poorly over these next two weeks. That's a great point, Sam. That's a great point. I think when you have two teams so strong at the top of the conference, you'd always love to think that both can get into the NCAA tournament regardless of winning the championship in the conference or not. We'll see what, how the NCAA selection committee views it. Certainly would, would help uh, Ball State and Miami both to finish strong and you know win seven of, or eight of their last eight games here over the next couple weekends. Obviously, that is a situation that we will continue to monitor, and we can't wait to talk to you guys next week about uh, this weekend's uh, baseball results from across the conference. And uh, with that, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week, episode 46 of the Mid-American Bandwagon. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. He is Sam Thillman. I am Zach Follador. Thanks for stopping by this week, folks, and we'll talk to you next Friday.